Okay, so we are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus Christ, and we are picking up in John chapter 10, leaving off where we left off last time in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 33. The Jews answered him, For good, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your, in your law, I said, you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said I am the Son of God? If I do, do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father." Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. Okay, so last time, we specifically talked about how based on the words of Jesus, they took him to be saying that he was God. And, and uh, so, so what we had discussed last time was that, was that um, we, in our Western mindset, may, may think that Jesus never claimed to be God. But remember, he was speaking to people in Israel, and they very much took him to be claiming to be God, so much so that they, were, they tried on many occasions to kill him for, based on that very charge. And so it says, we're not killing you for a good work, in verse 33, but he says, you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus is indeed a man who is God come in the flesh. God came in the person of Jesus Christ. God visited this earth as a man. And there's, sometimes there's questions, well, how could God be a man on this earth and still be in heaven? Uh, because He's God? Because He's able to be in more than one place at a time? He's really quite good at that, actually. And, and uh, because He's omniscient and He's omnipotent, He's able to know all things and do all things. He can do what he wants to do. He came in the form of a man. And it says that they, they specifically knew him to be testifying that he is a God. That he is God, the God. The God of Israel. And this is why they wanted to, to kill him. Then he says, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods? And there is a text from the book of Psalms where God says this, but it's a very subtle thing in that God is saying He speaks as on behalf of God. He said the same thing of Moses. He says of Moses to Aaron, He says, you will be like God to Aaron. And He says, you will be like God to Pharaoh. He says of Moses, because Moses was going to speak the word of God. But Jesus just turns their own scriptures right around on them. And they are clueless on how to answer Him. And, and then... Uh, um, then he says, remember, you can believe on me based even upon my works. Remember what happened when John the Baptist sent a message from his disciples. Now, at this point, John the Baptist is, has, has long been, been uh, dead, but he had sent a message. He said, find out, is this really the Messiah? 
And Jesus' response to his disciples was, go tell John what you see. How the dead are raised, how demons are cast out, how the sick are healed, the deaf can hear. And, and he says, based on these works, John himself will know that I am the Messiah. And the poor have the gospel preached to them, specifically the poor, that this is what Messiah would do. These are the works that Messiah would do. So based upon the works, he's telling Israel, he says, look, you have your own scriptures. I am doing everything Messiah is supposed to do. And I've even done the works that Messiah, you said only Messiah can do. Like healing a Jewish leper. Like casting out a demon from a man who is dumb. Like healing a man born blind. These very things that only Messiah could do, I have done. Let the works testify of themselves. It says in verse 39 of John chapter 10, Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. So you see again, they are seeking to kill Jesus. But he eludes their grasp. If you look up at the beginning of that chapter, it says that they they surrounded him. So here they are surrounding him, and he eludes their grasp. I mean, how does he do that? Well, because he's God. He's able to pass right through a crowd. He did this before when they tried to throw him off a cliff early on in his ministry. They tried to throw him off a cliff and he just moved out through their midst. No man took the life, no, no man took the life of Jesus. Jesus willingly gave up his life. It was like, oh my goodness, they've trapped him in the garden and they've gotten him. Trust me, he could have eluded their grasp yet again. At that moment, he had given up himself. And then it says in verse in, in, in verse 40, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to a place where John was first baptizing. And he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So, now he goes, he's in Jerusalem, and he goes to Perea, this land beyond the Jordan. So, if you look on any map of Israel you will see that if you go, if you go from Jerusalem, if you, you start heading east, you will pass by uh, uh, Jericho, you'll pass the River Jordan, you'll be in this area called Perea, which was part of Israel, but it was outside Sanhedrin control at this point. So he's outside Sanhedrin control, he's under the, still under the domain of, of Herod Antipas, uh, but he's outside Sanhedrin control, so he moves beyond the Jordan. And it says this is the area where John the Baptist had his, the, the, the beginnings of his ministry. It was at the Jordan. Remember, Jesus met John at the Jordan and he baptized him. This is the area in which John primarily <coughs> was, uh, was ministering. It was, it was leaders and Pharisees that had come down from from uh, uh, Jerusalem, about 20 miles to, uh, to Perea, to visit John, and that, where John confronted them. But we see now how effective John's ministry really was. John the Baptist had a very powerful and effective ministry. He went away again, and says in verse 40, beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing. And he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Many believed in him there. So you see, John never performed miracles, but he had a terrific testimony and he would baptize people. We've covered this before, but what was the baptism of John? 
The baptism of John was this, that you, when you get baptized by John, you will believe upon whom John points out that that is the Messiah. That is the agreement. You go through John's baptism, that whoever John points out as being the Messiah, you will believe it. And every case we've seen of the disciples of, uh, of, of John the Baptist, they immediately believed as soon as John pointed, pointed him out. Even later on in the book of Acts, 20 years later, people who had only been exposed to the baptism of John were never around when John pointed out Jesus. When later uh, uh, Paul points it out to them, they immediately believe. John had a very effective ministry and it says that he goes down into this territory and there are people there and they're saying, yes, this is the one that John pointed out. And they said, we believe in him. Many believed in, in him there. John had a very effective ministry, albeit fairly short, because his life was killed. And, and he was killed by, by Herod, by King Herod. So you see that he was, he was really quite, quite uh, uh, effective in, in what he was able to do and what he was able to accomplish. Many believed in him there, and he, and he was killed. I'm not sure if it was by King Herod or, or, or uh, I think Herod Antipas. But in any case... Uh, this is the last few months of Jesus' life. In fact, one of the Gospels, half of that Gospel is, is only the last week of Jesus' life. I mean, so now, even though we are, we're in the last three months of Jesus' life, when Jesus goes down into Perea, it's still a lot of territory to cover in the Gospels. And so John's effective ministry takes place. Now, let's look at the next portion. So immediately following this, we have to turn now to Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Luke chapter 13 and verse 22. There, there's some seats up here if you need them. Anyway, so Luke chapter 13, verse 22. This is the next, the next thing that we see. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. So this is in Perea. In Perea, he's passing from one village and city to another, in this region of Perea. This is the very area where some of the 70 that he had sent out had gone and prepared a place for him. Remember, they, he sent them out, two by two, he sent them out to go into every city and village that he was going to go to on his way to his final, final death in Jerusalem. And, and this is what he was doing. He was on his way there. Uh, and and he, he on his way through through Perea. Now he's heading back toward Jerusalem, it says. So he's going through Perea. We're not exactly sure how long he was in Perea, but may, maybe a month, month and a half, he's in Perea, going from village to village and, and uh, uh, ministering there. And then he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. 
And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south. And they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Okay, so this is an interesting question that somebody asks him. Somebody says to him, it says in verse 23, someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? So that's, a, that's an interesting question. Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Think of what you would ask the Lord if you saw him. There's a good chance somebody asked him that and it's recorded in the Bible. Somebody asked him, Is it, are there just a few being saved or are most human beings going to be saved? Because you, sometimes you will hear people say, oh, well, I believe God would never send anybody to hell. Okay, that's nice you believe that. I believe the earth is flat. It's not round, but it's flat. So my belief doesn't change what the world is. You see what I mean? So a person can believe whatever they want. And it's a free country. You can believe whatever you want. But that doesn't make it reality. So Jesus came and he explained these things to us. And in the response to someone asking, Lord, are there just a few people who are being saved? Here's what he says. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So that's the answer. He says, are many being able to say? He says, it is a narrow door. Meaning that you have to kind of, you know, you have to go through sideways. It's a narrow door. He says, many people are going to try to find God, but they're not going to find Him. So you can have the, the you know, the very warm and, and, and fuzzy sort of God impression that you want to have. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, you know, there's a very broad tent in the Lord. You know, all sorts of people are going to come in from, you know, this, as long as, you, you know, your good works outweigh your bad works. None of that. He said it's really narrow. It's really narrow what you've got to go through here. He said this is a narrow door. Many will seek to enter and won't be able to. You know, this is not unlike the, it, it, another instance in, in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus gave a little parable and he talked about entry into the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 7 verse 13, Matthew 7 verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. So again, Jesus is underscoring something he's taught before. See, he is reiterating this. What happens in a class when a professor says the same thing five times? Well, if you haven't learned to write that thing down and know it for the exam, that, that's natural selection in the university. If, if, if you've never learned to do that, you don't do well. Here, here the man is saying it all over again. He's saying it. He, he, he's, he's giving this answer to him. He says, this is a narrow way. So back over in Luke chapter 13 he says again, he says it's a narrow way. He says many are going to seek. So just, you say, well, as long as they're seeking God in the way they know, then it's okay. Again, that's fine. You can believe whatever you want. But that's not what Jesus said. 
So if it's between what you believe, which may vary from day to day, and what Jesus said, who's right? Tell me who's right. It's Jesus. It's like if somebody, if, if somebody thinks that they're a really good singer and nobody else agrees, guess who's probably right? All right, so, so Jesus makes this point. And then he says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 13, Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. So he's saying there is a time when the door is going to be shut. Come while the door is open. This is what he is suggesting. There is a time when the door is shut. Now, we can think of this absolutely in that once a person dies, there's no longer a chance. So you can pray all you want that someone who dies gets into heaven, but there's no indication that that will ever work. He gives us a chance in this life. And certainly, metaphorically, and practically, very often you see this, that there is a time when we can receive Him, and we often come to a place in our lives where it's much harder to receive Him. This is why when young people... If you get beyond college, if you get beyond your 20s without receiving the Lord, the chances, just statistically, of your coming to the Lord go way down. This is why college ministries are so important to get people, because this is the last chance. This is the last chance. If you've not received the Lord... You don't get lots of opportunities again because what happens in the world is you get choked out. And Jesus spoke about this thing too. In, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 13, he was telling a, a parable and he talked about how the Word of God comes into people's lives. He says sometimes the Word of God in Matthew 13 verse 7, other times it falls among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choked them out. And then when he went and he started explaining this parable, he said uh, uh, in verse 22 of Matthew 13, And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word, word, and it becomes unfruitful. So it's like this. You hear the word preached to you in college or whatever. And then he's, well, I, I really can't go for that then what happens in life is there's all these things that start choking you out. You get, you get a spouse. And, and if you've not received the Lord, then you get a spouse based on whatever. You get a spouse based on your own opinion. That there's no God decision involved in this. Well, guess what happens with our opinions very often? You know, you buy a car and it turns out not to be the car that you thought you were getting. Same thing happens with a spouse. Happens a lot. Now, most of you are unmarried, but if I were to say this in the general church, a lot of people would be saying, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. If you, if you, find, if you find a spouse in a bar, man, if you find a woman in a bar, you're going to get a barmaid. That's, that's the type of woman you're going to get. A woman who likes to hang out in bars at night. If you find a, a, a woman who serves in the church, you're going to get a servant. You're going to get a person who likes to serve others and give of themselves for others. Women, if you just want to have a handsome man, I mean, 
that man may be a terror inside. And, and if all you're looking at is, is exterior handsomeness, let me tell you, there's a lot of other women who have seen that handsomeness too and have visited with him and will visit with him. So when we don't have any God in this equation, we mess it up a lot. The thorns of the world that start choking, choking things out. This is, you get car payments, you get house payments, and, you, and, and uh, you know, the job is causing you to travel here and there. And the word that was shared with you in college that you thought, well, someday I'll, I'll, I'll go for that. It gets just choked out. Guess who said that that's what happens? Jesus. So he must be right. This is what happens. This is what happens. Remember, long after you and I are dead and gone, this word will remain. His words will remain. So, looking back then in, in, in that portion in Luke chapter 13, where he says, uh, he says, there's going to come a time when the door is going to close. It's going to be really tough. Because as it is, it's a narrow gate. There is a specific way. And I know in our culture where we want inclusiveness, we don't want to offend anybody. I mean, we got the word of Jesus. This is what we have to deal with. It's not a matter anymore of my opinion. It's not a matter of my being kind and gentle and nice. What did Jesus say? He said, the door is narrow. This was his response to that. He says, many will, will say, Lord, open up to us. We're going to come, the, just, the life is going to be a mess. Open up. He says, then you're going to begin to say, he says, I, never, I don't know where you're from. Verse 26, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Now he's becoming very specific with these people. He's saying, of these people, of these specific people, you're going to even go so far as to say, we ate with you. You, you taught in our streets. What are they saying to Jesus? They're going to say to Jesus, hey, you're, you're homeboy. You know? You're from, we're from the same neighborhood, remember? I mean, we grew up together. We played basketball together. Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. That doesn't work. And so, so for a person to say, well, my, my grandfather was a fine Christian man. Well, I am glad for your grandfather. What about you? It has, there's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. Each person has to make a decision to walk with Jesus or not walk with Him. Each person. He says, I, they're going to say, I taught in your streets. And then he says, and he will say, I tell you, in verse 27, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus is describing What's going to happen to people's lives without Him? You want to know what hell is like? You can think in your mind, oh, I, I, I believe hell is like this. Or all my friends are there, that's why I want to go there. So why don't you look at the picture of what Jesus gives us of hell, and you'll see what it's like. It says in verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, like, ugh. I really blew it. You know what? really made a big mistake here. He says there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. This is the picture that he gives. You want to know what it's like? 
when you're separated, when the end comes, when you die, this is what hell is like. There is going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth because it says, he says of the Jews, you're going to look up and you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the prophets there in the kingdom of God. And they're going to, and, and he says, and you won't be able to get there. And this is exactly the same picture that he presented to us from earlier in Luke when he talked about Lazarus and the rich man. He says, Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham when he passed away. He's in the bosom of Abraham. And then the rich man was in torment. And there was a great chasm, it says, that was separating them. And he says, he is talking, the rich man in hell is talking to Abraham, saying, send Lazarus to bring me something to drink. He says, can't do it. There's a chasm between us and you. This is the same picture. If Jesus is again giving us the same picture of what hell is like, don't you think this is probably what hell is like? It's not what I have in my imagination. Jesus is describing it for us. This is what hell is like. It is a separation where we will see those who have accepted Him in the presence of God, in the presence of the prophets, and we won't be able to get there. And it's going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, how could I have not received? How could I have not accepted this? It was week after week I heard this. Why didn't I accept it? It says in verse 29, And they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. This is speaking of the Gentiles. Because remember, in Pharisaic Judaism, the way was broad. All Jews were going to get into heaven. But Jesus said, no, that's not what's going to happen. Many many of you are going to be left out. And, in fact, many Gentiles are going to come. They're going to come from every direction and they're going to sit at the table in the kingdom of God. You want to know what heaven is like? It is sitting at a table with Jesus Christ. It is sitting at a table with the heavenly host. It is sitting at a table with those who have gone before you in the Lord. It is constantly spoken about of things that are good, things that we enjoy. It is community. It is family. The things that we treasure in life. You go without community and family for a while and you will be longing for it. Go ahead. Go become a student overseas and see what it's like to not have any family and be all alone for a year. I mean, it's tough. This is what it is. It's community. It's family in the kingdom of God. And he says, and behold, some of who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. This is the picture that Jesus gives. I again present to you today, today is the day of salvation. Don't let this day go by. Don't let it go by. Jesus spells out to us what we need to do. This is spelled out to us, how we come, how do we are saved in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, it is so specifically written out. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This day, I urge you, if you have not done it, receive the Lord. Receive the Lord this day. Say, you are Lord and believe that God has risen Him from the dead, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You say, well, how can you believe it? Jesus will put it in your heart. God will give you that ability to believe that. Receive that this day. 
Because remember, there is going to come a time when the door will shut. And then you'll be pounding on the... No, no, no. I want to come in now. No, but the master of the house will not let you in. And he'll say, I never knew you. And you say, well, remember I attended that Bible study class on Sunday. I mean, (laughs) you got to give me something for that. He says, I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoer. This is a very real thing. The door will close. Right now, the door is open. And it is a narrow door. And this is the way in. This is the only way in. And if ever you take you know, courses in philosophy or religion and they talk about wide doors and wide gates, they're wrong. They're wrong. And you could think this, oh, this big inclusiveness, we're all one big happy family. They're wrong. There is one way in. And there is one way to get the Holy Spirit in your heart. And as a believer, if the Holy Spirit comes in and you nurture that and develop it, and allow the Holy Spirit to start flowing out of you. There is a quantitative difference between you and those who don't have the Spirit. They have no power over sin, and then you do. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. And Lord, I pray for all those here who may not know You. Father, I pray that they would receive You this day. And if You have never accepted Jesus in Your life, as I pray this day, pray with me so that You could be saved. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my life, I pray. And Lord, I believe that You have risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would give us a deep respect for your word and see that Jesus has revealed so much for us. Even in this little passage, he revealed to us what heaven will be like and what hell would be like. Lord Jesus, thank you for the picture that you have given us. We bless your holy name. Father, for those here that know You, Father, I pray that they would take hold of all You have for them in the Spirit and they would nurture that through the Word of God and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Father, have mercy on these young people, I pray. And Lord, I pray for those here who might not know You, draw them close. And for those who have accepted You, draw them close, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.